pray. Uh, Lord, we bless you. We thank you um, that you are a good and faithful God, that you've called us to this place, that you have a word for us today. We open ourselves to it. We ask that uh, you would teach us what it means to fear you and to walk in the fear of you, um, that you may be glorified, that we may live as we're truly called to live, as full human beings, um, and that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it okay, Greg? Is it working? All right. Well, I apologize for everybody who is participating and joining us at home. I, I trust that you can still hear me. Um, so we're continuing our series on the Psalms of Ascent. Today, we're looking at Psalm 128. We've been going through all of them, Psalm 120, all the way to 134. And what I wanted to begin by saying is that, um, you know, looking at this, what it seems like, and many scholars believe this, that this psalm was a blessing that was pronounced upon the pilgrims as they were setting out on their homeward journey from Jerusalem after the Feast of Tabernacles. And I think that's important to consider because it helps us understand the content of the psalm itself, the content of this blessing, which centers around the concept of fruitfulness. So I just, I just want you to hear it again and note these, these words. Uh, you've got the psalm in front of you on the paper, but Psalm 128 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And then verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the person be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So what I want you to see is that the content of blessing is, is the concept of fruitfulness eating the fruit of your labor, your wife being like a fruitful vine, your children growing like olive shoots, feasting around your table, living to a ripe and fruitful age, seeing the prosperity of your city. Um, so the content is fruitfulness. And that makes sense in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles, because if you remember uh, from, Psalm, uh, from Exodus 23, the Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Ingathering where the harvest would be gathered in at the end of the year and would be rejoiced over. So this fruitful harvest would be the thing that they were rejoicing over primarily at the Feast of Tabernacles. So it makes sense that this blessing of fruitfulness would be connected to this particular feast. And the reason, I just want to say, the reason that I mention all of this specifically is because one of the dangers in reading this psalm is that we can presume that it's painting a picture of what is sort of, quote-unquote, the blessed life that it's describing in specific detail what's God, what God's blessing looks like, that God's blessing specifically looks like a large family with lots of food around the table. A blessed life means that you have a spouse, you have multiple children, and you have a plentiful harvest. But the danger in reading the psalm that way is the implication is that if you do not have those things, then you do not have God's blessing. Even worse, maybe you're under God's curse. And that's not what this psalm is saying. This psalm is not trying to describe what a blessed life looks like. It is a benediction over God's people of fruitfulness and abundance and generosity and joy. And in the ancient world, all the things that are mentioned would have been associated with those things, would have been associated with fruitfulness. So food, a large family, a long life, those are examples of a fruitful life. They're not meant to be the full and final word on exactly what a blessed life looks like. They are examples that would have resonated with the people at the time. 
And so I would suggest for us a good exercise to do would be to think of our own examples that we would put in verses two and three. What images would you use to describe what a blessed life looks like? If you were to, to pray this as a benediction over your brothers and sisters, over your friends, over, your, over the people here, how would you describe what a blessed life looks like? What would you want for these people? What would you want for the people around you? How would you describe what God's blessing looks like? One of the things that I was personally struck with as I was reading this psalm this week and meditating on it um, was the, the non-luxuriousness of the examples that were given. And I want you to see this. So this wasn't a prayer for palaces or enormous herds or vast amounts of land. It's not like mansions and a whole bunch of cars and um, you know, a, a large bank account in today's language. It was a prayer for food on the table, for people to share that food with, and for time to enjoy life with those people. It's very simple when you really get down to it. And I was wondering for us, like, has this experience, at least for me, the experience of COVID has been one that has helped me sort of maybe shake the rust off a little bit and clarify what's actually really important in life. You know, you have these moments in life where it really does help you see what's really important. And there's so many times when we can get caught up in so many other things. Um, but I think in, in many ways, COVID has helped us sort of reprioritize those things that are important for us. So I wonder if you were to rewrite this psalm, thinking about the people that you care about, thinking about others around you, thinking about even for yourself, how would you define what a good life looks like, what a blessed life looks like? What do you desire? My hope my guess would be it's relatively simple when you actually pare it down, which I think is a really important reminder for us. The other uh, danger of this psalm is that we can read it prescriptively as well. So not only can we read it descriptively as sort of describing what a blessed life looks like, and then, and then we, um, we sort of allow that to cloud our vision, but we can also read it prescriptively. So it's prescribing a way to achieve those things. It's prescribing a way to have an abundant harvest or have a large family or live a long life. And of course, for us, we could substitute anything in there. If, if, if it's not, if you don't grow your own food, um, then maybe it's a large bank account or whatever it is. We could substitute our own things in there. But the danger is that those very things become the goal and not God himself, not the Lord himself. That's the danger of the prosperity gospel at its heart, right? the heresy of that prosperity gospel, that it's the things that we actually chase after, not God himself. God becomes a means to those other ends. And the danger is that we can read this psalm the same way. Psalm 128 is not pro prosperity gospel. It's not inviting you to pursue these things. It's inviting you to walk in the fear of the Lord. That's the invitation of this psalm. Verse 1 says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Not blessed is everyone who has an abundant harvest, or blessed is everyone who has a spouse, or blessed is everyone who has multiple children. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That's where the blessing lies. Verse 4 says, behold, thus shall the person be blessed who fears the Lord. The invitation of this psalm is not to chase after the things that it mentions, but to pursue the Lord himself and to walk in his ways and in the fear of him. 
Jesus said something similar, of course, in Matthew 6. He said, that, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things shall be added unto you. Trust me for those other things. Seek me first. Seek me and my kingdom first. And all the other stuff, I'll take care of that. So the invitation of the psalm isn't to pursue those things, but to pursue God himself and to walk in the fear of the Lord. And when we think about walking in the fear of the Lord, what we see is it's less about the things that we might acquire for ourselves, and it's far more about the kind of people that we're actually becoming. So the image that we get in Psalm 128 is the image of someone who is generous and hospitable, and his table or her table is open to all people. Someone who walks in the fear of the Lord isn't interested in attaining and hoarding for themselves, but is interested in sharing with others. It's all about table fellowship in the psalm. The imagery is about sharing and feasting and being concerned about others, which is why verses 5 and 6, you have to see this. It naturally speaks of the community's prosperity as well. It's not just personal prosperity, but the community's blessing as well. It says, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Peace be upon Israel. That means that those who walk in the fear of the Lord are not selfish and small-minded. They're not only interested in their own health and wealth and prosperity. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord are generous. Their table is open to others. They know that everything that they have is a gift from God. Therefore, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be stewarded, not hoarded. They know that they don't live in isolation, that they're bound to one another within community by the spirit of God. And so what they have, they're meant to, it's meant to be an extension. It's extending out to others. So I think for us, that's an important question for us to be thinking about this week. What might God be calling you to share? What have you received as a gift from God that he's calling you to share? How might you exercise generosity with those around you? Do you have time to offer to the people around you? Do you have words of encouragement? Do you have a listening ear? Do you have the gift of presence for someone? Please note that it's not financial first and foremost. Finances matter. Maybe the Lord is telling you that you do have finances that you need to give to somebody else, but that's not the first thing that we need in life, isn't it? We need the gift of one another. So what might you have to share with others? What gift that God has given you is meant to be used as a blessing to those around you? One of the things, as I mentioned before, that I love about this psalm is that the imagery is all around table fellowship, and table fellowship isn't just about food. It's about opening your homes and your lives and your hearts to people around you. So we might not be able to do that in the same way during this season of COVID. But how can we still open our hearts and our lives to those around us? How might we still be there for one another, care for one another, and offer ourselves as a gift to the other? I often think of Corinthians. Paul says, my heart is open to you. No matter what you might say about me, no matter how you might turn away from me, my heart is open to you. I think that's what people need first and foremost, open hearts to one another. That's the invitation. When I, when I read Table Fellowship, that's what I think of. And I think our James 3 passage that we heard this morning touches on all of this also. It says that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That instinct to covet and to hoard 
and to treat others as competition and to chase after goods that does not come from God, James says. Those instincts actually destroy lives and communities. James says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It just snowballs. Instead, James says that we are to walk in the wisdom from above. We know that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So he's telling us to walk in the fear of the Lord, to walk in the wisdom that comes from above. It says we are to show our works in the meekness of wisdom, to show our works in the, in the meekness of the fear of the Lord. And that wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. What I would invite you to do, take that verse this week. This is verses 17 and 18 of James 3. And just look at it. Pray over each one about that for a little bit. Could this have something to tell us about what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord? That I think James is showing us that this is the kind of people that God wants us to become. The kind of people who walk in the fear of the Lord are the people who walk in wisdom. And he says that to do so, we are becoming pure, meaning that we do not have ulterior motives. There's sincerity of, sincerity of heart. There's a true desire for the good of those around us. We actually love those around us. We desire their good. We don't see them as competition. They're not just a means to an end for something that we can achieve for ourselves. We actually care for them. Our hearts are pure towards them. He says that those who walk in the fear of the Lord are, are becoming peaceable people. So not just peaceful, but people who actively work towards making peace. That means repenting. It means asking for forgiveness. It means offering forgiveness to other people. It means actively working towards reconciliation. James 3.18 says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to be part of that harvest of righteousness. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord, James tell, tells us, are becoming gentle. Gentleness is not passivity. Otherwise, that would nullify the ability to actually go and make peace, be active peacemakers. He's telling us that we are to be gentle, which means we are unwilling to bully people and dominate people to try and get our way. We work towards peace, but we do so in a gentle fashion, not with a hammer and nails but in that posture of Christ with arms open, ready to uh, receive the nails that come our way. Picking up our cross and following Jesus. That's the way of gentleness. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord become, James says, open to reason. I love that line. And I just, I mean, I just want to make a little caveat here. That doesn't mean like people who walk in the fear of the Lord are, are, are right. We can hear open to reason, meaning I want other people to be open to reason. I just want them to be <laughs> agree with me. That's not what it's saying here. It means that we exercise some humility. That we're even willing to recognize maybe I'm wrong about certain things. Maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to listen. Maybe I need to grow. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord become full of mercy and good fruits, James tells, James tells us. How necessary is that for us today? Not just to be people who are open to reason, but to be more merciful people. 
It's so needed today. People are willing to forgive and let go of hurt and bitterness and not so quick to just jump on the bandwagon to stomp on people. Actually merciful people. Moving forward, bearing good fruit, not nursing angry grudges. I mean, mercy essentially is the banner that is over us as Christians. We know that, right? We are those who have received mercy first and foremost. Therefore, we are to give mercy and extend mercy as well. That's in bearing good fruit. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord become impartial, James says. That means we don't treat people differently based on social status, race, gender, sexual orientation, class, creed, religion, whatever it is. Lord, make us those impartial people. I think this works in conjunction with the fear of the Lord because when we catch a glimpse of the glory and grandeur of God, we see how holy other he is, how incredible he is, how amazing he is, how gracious he is to us. And then we see us down here, separate, you know, separated from God. He has made this move towards us. So I don't mean that as sort of like a, 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 this big theological statement, but he is holy other. We are not God. We are creatures. And we see actually the differences between us are, are, aren't that big after all. And I think it makes us that kind of impartial people. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord become sincere, James says. They're not hypocrites. They, they don't wear a mask or a disguise is how you'd literally translate that. So for me, when I think of what are, what are the reasons that I've worn disguises before, it's often because of shame. I'm embarrassed about something I've done. Or it's often because of fear. I think if I show people who I truly am that I won't be accepted, I won't belong, I won't be loved. The beauty of, of coming before the living God catching a glimpse of his glory and grandeur is recognizing that there's nothing we can hide. There's actually no disguise we can wear in God's presence. He sees us as we truly are. And in seeing us as we truly are, he actually accepts us. That's where freedom lies. He fully knows us and he fully loves us. And that's where freedom actually lies. And then, and then I can turn around and I can walk in sincerity, not in perfection, but as God's beloved child, knowing that he sees me as I truly am, fully known and fully loved. So for me, the invitation of this psalm um, is to walk in the fear of the Lord. And as we walk in the fear of the Lord, catching a glimpse of who he is, he makes us the kinds of people that he's calling us to be, that we were always meant to be. And so for me, it's Paul's words from 2 Corinthians that come to mind. We all with unveiled face, this is this image of catching a glimpse of the glory of God. And we all with unveiled face, he says, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from one degree. It's in catching a vision of the glory of God, walking in the fear of the Lord, that we become transformed into his image more and more. Let's just take some time to pray and come before this living, holy, and wonderful God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.